passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. Well, good morning again. Welcome uh, to 2017. We are excited that you are here with us. And uh, kudos to you for for getting up um, after last night um, and and joining us. So thank you so much for being here. I want to start this morning with a question. And that is the question of what is God calling us uh, to be? What is God calling us to do as a church in 2017? We're going to take a break from the book of Genesis, even though we just have two weeks left. And we're going to take, uh, take some time to just look at what is God calling us as a church to do this year. Several years ago, I read a devotion uh, excerpt from John Piper. And uh, he, he encouraged in this devotion uh, to look at the end of each year as, uh, so to speak, an, an end of year, end of life checkup on our lives. New Year's resolutions are big hits, they're, they're a big fad, and, and they're, they're great to, to take uh, this time at the beginning of the year to look forward into the future and, and look at what we can improve about ourselves. But if we don't first look back, we can lose the foundation for motivation. We can try to work out of our own efforts rather than out of God's grace for us. And so what John Piper encouraged in this devotion was to take uh, some time at the end of year to imagine this isn't just the end of your year, but it's actually the end of your life. It's not just the end of 2016 that's coming to an end, but rather that it is your life that is coming to an end. What are your regrets? What are your accomplishments? What, are, what do you desire to do better? What do you wish that you had a do-over for? If you actually do this, it can be rather sobering. It's not at all like a traditional New Year's celebration, but I think it is the foundation for lasting change. It spurs us as Christians to ask the question, to ask the question in perspective of what is God calling me to do in the year 2017? What is God calling me to change? What is it that I need more than anything in this coming year, over the next 365 days? What is it that I need more than anything else? We could ask the same question for our church. What is it that our church needs more than anything else for the next 365 days? Perhaps what we need more than anything is the strength and the courage to to face the rising culture war. As we live in a culture that becomes increasingly more secular, maybe we need the, the strength and the background to be able to stand our ground on biblical principles. Or maybe it is for us to focus our emphasis and our efforts on strengthening families. Today in the United States, We now live in a society where there are more children who don't have both parents in the home than there are that have both parents in the home. And so maybe our job as a church is to come alongside those single parents, to love them, to support them, and to encourage them as God has called us. Or still, maybe our calling as a church is to be a bastion of hope in an ever-increasing world of materialism and greed. To be a place where we can say that we will live simply so that others can simply live. All of these are noble callings. Noble 
tasks and goals to strive toward, but they are not the most important thing for us over the next 365 days. If we were to ask Jesus what is the most important thing that we could do over the next year, he would respond simply with this. Seek me. Dwell with me. In the book of John, Jesus says that a vibrant, healthy relationship with him is the most important thing that we could ever pursue. Not just in the year 2017, but in every year, every age, every decade of our lives, we must seek him. Dwell with him. And this morning, we're going to look at that passage in the New Testament, where Jesus says exactly this. John chapter 15. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open up to this passage. John chapter 15. There are three words that Jesus says over and over in this passage that's going to be our focus this morning, and it is this. Abide in me. Abide in me. This is the final moments that Jesus has with his disciples. It's right after the Last Supper, right after they celebrate the Passover, and the declaration that his time is almost over here on the earth. His disciples don't know what what is coming, but Jesus knows that the cross is out on the horizon. And so he charges his disciples to love one another. And then he says that the Holy Spirit will be with you after I depart. He will be your helper. And John 14 says that one of the key roles, the key focuses of the Holy Spirit is to bring to mind Jesus' words for us. And then we get to John chapter 15. John 15, Jesus and his disciples leave their meeting room where they celebrated the Passover and they begin the journey out of Jerusalem to the Garden of Gethsemane. They're wandering through the streets of Jerusalem at twilight. And Jesus begins to talk to them about all of these different things that he still wants to to teach them, impart to them as he is about to leave this earth. And as they're walking through Jerusalem, they begin to pass these houses. And and one of these houses, I imagine, has a vine that is creeping up the wall. And Jesus sees it. And he says, that's going to be a perfect object lesson for one of the most important things I could ever tell to my disciples. And so he uses this vine as an object lesson of what it means to abide in Christ. As we stand today... At the beginning of 2017, these three words, abide in me, I think are our charge as a church. They are the most important thing that we could ever seek, to abide in Christ. And so this morning, we're going to look exactly at that. There's a lot of wonderful stuff we could look at in John chapter 15, but we're just going to focus on these three words. And we're going to see how abiding in Christ... Dwelling with Christ is the key to faithful Christian living. In fact, if we want to live faithful lives to God over the next 365 days, the most important thing that we can do is to abide in Christ. But if we're honest, at the same time, the the statement, abide in Christ, abide in me, is a rather abstract statement. So we're going to look at what exactly does it mean for us. If we're going to seek to abide in Christ this year, what exactly does that mean for us? 
John 15 answers those questions. As we approach God's word, let's pray once more. Lord, as we approach John 15, we thank you for the words that Jesus has spoken here. We thank you for the good news. We thank you for the warning. We thank you for the calling. And we thank you for the grace of this passage. God, give us ears not only to hear, but also hearts to obey. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. These three words, abide in me, are the most important words that we could ever hear this new year. And so as we explore John 15, we're going to see three pieces of the Christian life that are actually impossible without abiding in Christ. Please follow along as I read aloud, starting in verse 1 of chapter 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Jesus has a very strong declaration here in these few verses. He declares that he is the true Vine in ancient Israel, first century Israel, vines were very significant. The Old Old Testament is filled with passages that refer to the people of Israel as a vineyard. The description of God's vineyard as the people of Israel. They had coins that were minted with a vine pictured on them, kind of like we have the bald eagle today. The temple in Jesus' day On the gates in front of the temple, there was a massive sculpture of gold of a vine describing Israel. For the people of Israel, this idea of a vine, of of a vineyard, was a symbol of national pride. There's just a problem in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, when we look at, at Israel described as a vineyard, more often than not, it doesn't cast Israel in the most positive light. Isaiah chapter 5, one of these passages that refers to Israel as a vineyard, actually does so as a form of judgment upon them. Israel is God's vineyard, and yet they bear no fruits, and so they will be destroyed. Israel sees themselves as a nation that bears fruit to God, but the Old Testament tells us that more often than not, that isn't the case. More often than not, Israel fails to bear fruit before God. So what is Jesus saying here when he describes himself as the true vine? Well, his words are significant. This is a messianic declaration. This is a declaration of who he is. Jesus is saying, I am the true Israel. Where Israel has failed in the Old Testament, I, Jesus, have prevailed. I have succeeded. Israel is no longer God's hope for the world 
I am, declares Jesus. And Jesus begins this passage with this nationally charged imagery saying that Israel is no longer the hope of the world. I am the hope of the world. And from there, Jesus describes, using this image, how, how our lives as Christians are re- relatively impossible for us to live out without abiding in Christ, without being connected to this true vine. And the first thing, the first piece of our lives that are impossible for us to live out without Christ is this, bearing fruit. As you stand at the beginning of 2017, know this, if you want to bear fruit this year, You must abide in Christ. You must abide in Christ. Jesus starts this passage with an agricultural lesson. He says, I want you to imagine a vine and some branches. And how are those branches able to produce fruit? The answer is obvious. They remain attached to the vine. The vine is their source of life. And so it is with me. And with you, my disciples, I am your source. If you want to bear fruit, you must stay attached to me. You must abide in me. But then Jesus issues a warning, saying the reverse is also true. Just like a gardener has no use for fruitless branches... Cuts them out so that those branches that do produce fruit can produce more fruits. So it is with God and those who do not produce fruits for him. This warning seems awfully harsh. It seems like Jesus is staring at his disciples and says, You better produce fruit or else you're going to get the axe. Doesn't at all sound like... Jesus in other passages. It's not exactly a nice way to start 2017. Not exactly a nice way to start a year saying, if I don't bear fruit, Jesus is going to cut me out. So what is Jesus saying here? Well, first and foremost, it is a very sincere warning. If we are not bearing fruit, then we must ask the question, am I really actually abiding in the Son? But it is wrong for us to first skip verse 3. Verse 3, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Those who are truly in Christ are already clean. So what is Jesus saying here? When he's talking about fruit, he's reminding us of our purpose. The reason why we are here, the reason why we are saved is to produce fruit. This is God's original plan from the very beginning of creation, and it's God's plan for his new creation. We are saved to produce fruit. Ephesians chapter 2 makes this very clear. Those who abide in Christ are the ones who are able to produce fruit. Those who do not abide in Christ will not produce fruit. It's as simple as that. This is a good reminder for us. It's a reminder for us because oftentimes I think we can have an inward focus on our faith. We can be tempted to look at the Christian life as Sunday mornings. But Jesus in John chapter 15 reminds us that we are not saved to attend church. We are saved 
to live a life continually transformed into Christ-likeness. That's what it means to bear fruit. It means to continually transform into Christ-likeness. It means that other people can look at our lives and testify to the increasing measures of the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. That means that your co-workers can testify, no matter how frustrating they are, no matter frustrating your bosses, that you are increasingly patient, that you are filled with integrity at work. It means that you live a grace-filled life at home with your family, that you are intentional in leading your children and yourself to know God and to love God. It means that you are involved in serving your church and in your community. God wants us to bear fruit. And Jesus makes it very clear for us this morning. We cannot truly do any of that without first abiding in Christ. When Jesus says here, apart from me, you can do nothing. He's not saying that we are completely immobilized without Christ. He's saying at the end of the day, we cannot do anything of lasting, eternal significance without abiding in Christ. And so as we stand at the beginning of this new year, if you want to bear fruit, abide in Christ. That's the first piece of the Christian life. Let's keep reading, picking up in verse 7. If you abide in me, and my word abide in, abides in my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Jesus tells us here that the second part of our lives as Christians that we should desire in this new year that is impossible without abiding in Christ is this. It is glorifying God. If you stand right now at the beginning of this new year and you say, I want to glorify God with my life over the next 365 days, then the key to doing that is to abide in Christ. This calling to glorify God is indeed why we were created. We bear fruit, and by doing that, we glorify God. That's why you are here. That's why I am here, to glorify God. One council from the 1600s declared this or affirmed this by saying that the chief end of humanity is to glorify God. The sole purpose why we are here is to glorify God in everything that we do. Glorifying God is our calling. It is why we are here. But of course, glorifying God, living for him is impossible without abiding in him. Oswald Chambers once famously said, We slander God by our very eagerness to work for him without first knowing him. We are absolutely naive to think that we are able to glorify God if we don't first abide in him. Because if we, are, if we do not abide in him, we are cut off from the source of life. Our ability to bear fruit that lasts. If you want to glorify God this coming year, 
you must abide in Christ. Let's look at the last few verses of this chapter. Verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. The, the final piece of our lives that are impossible as we look to the new year without abiding in Christ is this. If you want to experience true joy, you have to abide in Christ. If you want to experience true joy, you have to abide in Christ. It's wrong for us to think that bearing fruit, glorifying God, it's wrong for us to think that these are joyless tasks, that they're just boxes that we must check. The reality is that these come from the overflow of a joyful heart, a heart that is joyful because it is abiding in Christ. And this joy is a joy that is so deep-rooted that it can weather every storm, it can endure every valley, it can persevere in every crisis. It doesn't mean that we are happy all the time, but it means that we trust. It means that we hope. And it means that we have faith that God will bring us through the valley. True, authentic, everlasting joy can be found nowhere else than in fellowship with God. And so if you want to experience true joy this year, abide in Christ. Abide in Christ. That's the call of John chapter 15. That's our charge as we approach this new year. Let's zero in on just two verses that explain what it means for us to abide in Christ. Put flesh on what this relatively abstract statement means. I'm going to be in verse 4 and verse 7. First, look at verse 4. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, no, neither can you unless you abide in me. Notice the, the beginning of this statement. Abide in me and I in you. What does this statement tell us about abiding in Christ? It tells us that there's a connection here between us abiding in Christ and Christ abiding in us. Interestingly, in the previous chapter, John chapter 14, Jesus uses the exact same language, or at least similar language, to refer to his relationship with his Father. Verse 10 of chapter 14. Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words... That I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. The end of that statement, it isn't picked up in this English translation, but this, this statement uses the exact same word, this word for abide. Just as Jesus abides in his Father and his Father abides in him, we are called to abide in Jesus and Jesus abides in us. To abide in Christ means to have fellowship with him. It means to have full, intimate communion with him. It means to know him and to have him 
know us. It means to honor him by following him with our lives. It means to have a relationship with him like he has with his father. Now look at verse 7. How exactly do we have this fellowship? How exactly do we have this relationship with Jesus? Verse 7 gives us the answer. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Notice the parallel there between verse 4 and verse 7. Verse 4, if you abide in me and I in you. Verse 7, abide in me and my words in you. Jesus reveals to us that the key for us to abide in Christ, the key to having fellowship with him, the key to becoming more like him, to be connected to the vine, is the word of God. If you really want to abide in Christ this coming year, then be in his word. Jesus declares here that there is no greater way for us to abide in him, for us to have fellowship with him, than to be in his word. If you really want to bear fruit this year, if you really want to glorify God this year, if you really want to experience true joy this year, the key is found in God's word. Reading your Bible. Allowing God's words to dwell in you is one of the most important things that you can do in the year 2017. Because as we read God's word, it changes the directions of our hearts to focus on God. Everything else follows. When we submit ourselves to God's word, when we put ourselves under God's word, it softens our heart. It makes it more malleable. It makes it more uh, desirous of God himself. A.W. Tozer once said, Anything that keeps me from my Bible is my enemy, however harmless it may appear to be. In other words, what he's saying is, if it is truly, if Jesus, what Jesus is saying here, if it's true, that being faithful in reading my Bible is the key for me to abide in Christ, which is the key for everything else in the Christian life, if all that's true, then anything that distracts me, sleep, TV, work, even our families, those things are preventing us from Christ. See, here's the important reality of reading your Bible. God does not love you anymore when you read your Bible. But you love God more when you read your Bible. God does not love us anymore when we read our Bibles. His love for us is unconditional. It is faithful. He is committed to us. But we love God more when we read our Bibles. Our hearts are changed. They are focused upon God. It refocuses us. It aligns our hearts to what God wants. When we read God's word, when we let God's word abide in us, then we abide in Christ. And so as we stand at the beginning of this year, 
stand at the beginning of a fresh start. That's our challenge. To abide in Christ, to abide in the Son through the Word of God. This year, the year 2017, will inevitably draw you closer to God or will see you walk further away from Him. Your relationship with God is not static. 365 days from now, you will either love God more than you do right now or you will love God less than you do right now. Wouldn't you like to say at the, end of, at the end of this year that I love God now more than I did last year? It might not be every day, probably isn't even every week, but the past 12 months, if you look at them as a whole, I can confidently say that I love God more today than I did last year. I have been transformed by the word of God. I'm not perfect, but more so than I did or I was last year because God's words abide in me and I abide in him. Church history tells us countless stories of lives that have been transformed by the word of God. 500 years ago, Martin Luther, his life was forever changed because of the word of God. World history was forever changed because Martin Luther was changed by the word of God. After years of studying the Bible, year upon year of studying the Bible, he came to Romans chapter 1 verse 17 and read these words, The righteous shall live by faith. His world was turned upside down. The seeds that had been sown from years of being in his Bible blossomed into the Reformation, into the reason why we are here this morning. His life was transformed by the Word of God. In the 1700s, revival spread throughout the United States colonies. There was uh, one example of this that took place in Boston. Uh, where a slave was converted by hearing the word of God. His life was transformed. One day, his owner walked in while he was working and heard this slave preaching, just preaching to himself, proclaiming the gospel to himself. And the owner just thought that it was hilarious. He was mocking this slave. And so he invites all of his friends over to, to watch the entertainment, which is this slave who thinks that he can preach. I want to just pick up on this account with these words. Supplying his friends with pipes and glasses all around, he instructed his slave to mount a stool in the middle of the room and preach as he had the day before. As he begun, the company laughed heartily. But when he warned against blaspheming the Holy Spirit and proclaimed the necessity of the new birth, quote, the Negro spoke with such authority that struck the gentleman to heart. End quote. To their host's dismay, the men began to listen intently, and many, as a result of that day's entertainment, quote, became pious, sober men. End quote. The word of God transformed one man's life, and through that transformation, transformed those who came in to mock the word of God, to mock this man who had his life transformed because the word of God is powerful. 
my own story of transformation is rooted in the word of God. In high school, I committed to read the Bible every day for a month, just one random month. I have no idea what caused me to do this, but I just said, you know what, I'll I'll do it, and uh, I began nonetheless. At the beginning of the month, I instantly regretted it, and I kept counting down the days until I would be done at the end of this month with a silly challenge. Ironically, the, (laughs) the thing that kept me going was my pride. I didn't want to stop because I said I was going to. And as the days wore on, as I reached the end of this month, I kept going and kept reading and reading and reading and reading. The Word of God transformed my life. In one year of consistent exposure to the Scripture, I became a Christian. I became a leader in the ministry that I was a part of. I actually was called to ministry. It's the reason why I'm here this morning. The Word of God transformed my life. And the word of God can transform your lives as well. And so as we close this morning, ask yourself that question. Will you let the word of God change you? Will you let the word of God change you? Will you place yourself before it? Will you let the words of Christ abide in you? That's our challenge this morning. That's our challenge this year. To abide in the Son through the Word of God in 2017. Abide in the Son through the Word of God in 2017. It's the most important decision that you could ever make for yourself. It's the most important decision you could ever make for your family. To commit to abide by the Word. To let the words abide in you. And so this morning we're going to start a challenge. I hope that every single person in here accepts. A challenge to abide in the word of God. To let the word of God abide in you. A challenge to develop a habit of reading the Bible each and every day. Of fellowshipping with God each and every day. In the 400s, there was a man named Augustine. He's one of the most famous Christians out there, uh, actually known as St. Augustine. Uh, he's another man who was transformed by the Word of God. Before his con- conversion, even though he's now called St. Augustine, he was no saint. He is known for having a 15-year-long affair with, and having at least one illegitimate child during this time. When he was forced to break off that affair, he was pledged to marry a young woman But she wasn't old enough, and so while he waited for her to come of age, he found another mistress until she was of age. He is known for having concubines as well as having a a sexual appetite that rivaled his own brilliance. One day in the year 386, Augustine was sitting alone in a room studying rhetoric with a window open. Outside his window, he heard some children begin to sing just two words, Tole, lege, tole, lege, tole, lege, which is Latin for take up and read. The kids began to sing this over and over and over. Take up and read, take up and read, take up and read, until Augustine did exactly that. He randomly opened his Bible. He didn't know what, where to start. He just randomly opens his Bible to Romans chapter 13. And he sees this passage that talks about the transformation of the gospel. 
how the gospel can transform our lives. He opened to Romans chapter 13, verses 13 and 14. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. For a man who is struggling with sensuality and a number of other vices, this cut him to the heart. He gave his life to Christ, and even though he struggled the rest of his life with this weakness of of lust, he was forever changed. He went on to become one of the most important, probably one of the top three most important Christian theologians in church history. His life was forever changed, all because he decided to take up and read. So this morning, that's what we want you to do. We want you to commit to take up and read. Over the next year, our church is going to begin a reading plan that we've put together called Take Up and Read that is going to go through the entire New Testament. One chapter a day, five times a week, so you have some margin if you miss a day or two, which we all probably will. If you're new to Bible reading, a chapter will probably only take you five minutes, although you can spend as much time in it as you would like. If you've read the Bible for years, if you have your own Bible plan, it's only five more minutes. And we'd love for you to join us so that the entire church is going through the same passage each and every day. And so we have a couple options for you. If you look in your bulletin, you'll see a bookmark. And that bookmark includes a paper copy of our readings for the first few Months. If you're paper, a uh, paper kind of person like me and, and you like that, go ahead and use that so that way you can uh, just put that in your Bible as a reminder. So that's one option. If you like email, our church is going to start an email list uh, that no one has signed up for yet. So if you've given us your email before, you're not signed up for this list. So go to spencer.crosswinds.tv slash read and look at, or there's a form there for you to sign up for you to be able to get an email every single Sunday night. And this will tell you the week's readings coming up. And still others of you, if you don't like paper, if you don't like uh, email, or if you just want something that's a little more uh, in your face each and every day, we're actually starting a texting service that's going to send out texts every single uh, Monday through Friday at 6 a.m. Emails can be deleted Bookmarks can be lost, and so you might want to opt for this daily reminder. It'll just tell you which passage that you need to read each and every day. If that's too late for you, go for one of the other options. If it's too early for you, put your phone on silent. Uh, Probably shouldn't be sleeping with your phone in your bedroom anyway. Um, We want our entire church to take up and read. We want our entire church to expose themselves to the word of God because we see the value of the word of God in transforming lives and the church. So if you want to sign up for that texting service, go ahead and you can do it right now. Pull out your phone. Uh, text the word crosswinds to 41411. You can do it right now. It's, it's completely okay if you'd like to do that. Just be clear, you will receive a text five times a week at 6 a.m. in the morning. We want our church to be a church that takes up, takes up the Bible and reads it, that devotes themselves to Scripture. Because we see Scripture transform lives.
Now, you might be saying, I, I, I like this idea, but I, I don't know how to read the Bible. I don't know how to get anything out of reading the Bible. Just a, a quick acronym for you. You don't have to use this one if you have your own acronym, but it's, it's a helpful one. The acronym is COMA. It's because we want you to go into a coma when you read the Bible. That's not true. Um, we're, not, we're not going through Leviticus, so you should be okay. Uh, first, the, the C stands for context. Look at the context. What comes before, what comes after this passage? Is it a gospel or is it a letter? What is the author trying to say in the context before and after the passage? C, context. O stands for observe. Look at the passage. See what the author is actually saying. Is there anything that sticks out to you? Any questions that you have from reading this passage? Just observe the passage. Absorb it as a whole. After you do that, M stands for meaning. Look at the meaning of the text. Or What would you say if you were to sum up this passage in one sentence? What is it about? What is it talking about? If you were to write the passage down, how would you say it? Look for the meaning of the passage, and then A, finally, apply. Is there anything that you can apply from this passage? Anything that sticks out to you that says that it should apply to my life? Coma. Context, observe, meaning, and application. Just five, or four simple things to do as you look away or look at Scripture. Now, just a, a word for us. Don't feel, every t- don't feel like every single time you come to the Bible that you have to come away with a golden nugget. Every single time you have to come away with a piece of application, tiny application that transforms your life because you don't. You don't have to do that. We want more for you, to be honest, than just a tiny application, a tiny list of do's and don'ts. We want more for you than a cool factoid that you can use next time in Bible trivia. The reality is we want you to get into the rhythm of transformation that takes place by exposing yourself to the word of God, by letting the words of Christ abide in you, by abiding in Christ yourself. It's significant that in all of Paul's letters, when Paul is praying for the churches, he does not pray that people would be able to apply scripture into their lives each and every time they read the Bible. He doesn't pray for that. Instead, he prays that they are transformed by the renewal of their minds. He prays that they would be able to discern what is good. That they would have the ability to know what is right and what is wrong in God's sight. And after they recognize that, that as children of light, they would be able to live in light of what God has done, the transformation that God has done in their life through the faithful, consistent exposure to the word of God. Would you join us this year in abiding in Christ? Would you join us this year in taking up the Bible and reading it? Would you join us this year in being transformed by that word, by bearing fruit, by glorifying God, and by experiencing joy? Tole. Lege, take up and read. Let's pray. Lord, your word is good. And as we challenge ourselves at the beginning of this coming year to abide, or let the words of Christ abide in us and we abide in you, 
I pray that you would give us the strength to do so, that we wouldn't just do so as a task, but we would do so as a way to honor you, to fellowship with you, to get to know you more. Help us, God, to take up your words and read, to be transformed, to abide in the Son through the word of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.